I have a zeal for the house of the Lord. It's holiness and it's obedience to the way the Lord commands his churches to be run. I was so glad to, that we, we had a, um, our three-year anniversary last year. We made it to the three-year point in our church, which is a great and awesome thing. Um, and I'm, I'm glad the Lord has seen it fit to use this church. Um, but as I see it, there are three stages to a church. There's a church being planted, then there's a church becoming an established church, and there's a church becoming, then there's a church becoming a reproducing church. A church that's planted, established, and then a church established to the point of being able to reproduce other pastors and churches. We in this church are in the second phase of becoming established. We're planted. We're here. We're grounded. But we are not yet reached the point of becoming an established church. And that's what we're moving towards by God's grace. We're moving towards becoming established. And what I mean by established, I love the word established. It means to bring something to a firm and stable basis. And the way we're going to bring this church to a firm and stable basis is to, if our church's life corresponds to the structure that God has put forward in Scripture, and I know I'm speaking in generalities right now, but as we move through the book of 1 Timothy, which is where we're going to go, it will become clearer what I mean. God has ordained, I believe, a certain structure for his church, leadership, offices, doctrines to focus on, and the way the church life should run. And I believe that a healthy church or an established church will move in that direction, finally attain that by God's grace, and then really be able to move forward as God's emissaries in an area. So I am going to uh, preach through 1 Timothy. The Lord has impressed it on my heart to preach through 1 Timothy to bring our church to a point of health and, and to be established, to be brought to a firm and stable basis. And I'm not going to push anything, but I am going to move or take definite steps in what I believe is the right direction for this church and one of the steps I'm taking is to preach through 1 Timothy so that um, the congregation sees where the church should go. And I'm preaching this in faith, that the, that the word of the Lord will do the work. So what I want to do today is give an introduction to the book of 1 Timothy. And I want to frame that first today by talking about the local church in context of the Great Commission, number one. Number two, I want to talk about the local church not only being there, but being brought to a point of health, number two. Then number three, I would like to 
introduce to you the letter of 1 Timothy and talk about the first two verses and just by way of orienting us to the church, the doctrine of the church, and get us into the book of 1 Timothy today. So that's what I'm going to do. Three things. The church in light of the Great Commission, the church being brought to a point of health, the necessity of being brought to a point of health, and then we'll talk about 1 Timothy and just introduce 1 Timothy today. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy. Now, the local church, I believe, is the means that God has ordained to fulfill the Great Commission. Let me repeat that. It is, it is a bold assertion, but I do believe it's true. I believe the local church is the means that God has ordained to fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission is this. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, we read that Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There are two parts to the Great Commission that I see. There's the word go, because all authority has been given to Christ. And then there's the command to make disciples. That is, apprentices of Jesus Christ. People who worship him, obey him, follow him, trust in him, and seek to live their lives in a way that reflects who he is, Christ-likeness. Go means evangelism. Make disciples implies churches. The Great Commission, I don't believe, is a command to be renegade street preachers. It is a command to bring people from unbelief to repent and to then to become obedient followers of Jesus Christ. If you have evangelism without churches, that is not fulfilling the Great Commission. If on Montgomery Day, for example, we preach the gospel to somebody and we said, repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And they said, yes, I will do, I'll do that. I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And we pray with them. If we say, fantastic, I'm glad we did this. Bye. That's not fulfilling the Great Commission. The next step and necessary step would be to bring them in to some kind of community which they, where the word is preached to them, where they could be discipled in what the Bible teaches, where Christ is displayed, where a loving community gathers around them, and where they can be brought from spiritual infanthood to spiritual maturity in Christ. 
That is called a local church. So local churches, I believe, are integral and even presupposed in the Great Commission to make disciples. The local church is where disciples are made. Heart Cry Missionary Society is, is the mission society that we support in this church. And in their core values statement, one of their core values is the following. The establishment of biblical churches is the primary work of missions. They have an explanation under it, and they say, There are many gifts and callings in the body of Christ, but all of them are to work together on the mission field with the primary goal of establishing biblical churches. It is not enough to evangelize or even disciple individual converts. We are to unite them in local congregations that follow the clear commands of Scripture. So the Heart Cry Missionary Society understands this, that the Great Commission is to make disciples, which necessitates local churches. So what Heart Cry does is they're not just sending missionaries to be street preachers and that's it. It's their missionaries who establish local churches and congregations where elders and deacons are raised up, where the gospel is preached, where membership and church discipline is practiced, and where disciples are intentionally made through the means that God has given us. In Acts, in the book of Acts, you don't see the Apostle Paul merely preaching the gospel, but planting churches throughout the book of Acts. And he goes to the Gentile mission field and he plants churches. So in summary then, I believe that the Great Commission is obeyed through the establishing of biblical churches. A biblical church is a place where God is worshipped corporately, where the gospel is preached, where doctrine is preserved, where personal discipleship and holiness is promoted, where spiritual fellowship is forged, and where people are brought therefore and thereby from spiritual infanthood to spiritual maturity. In Christ. That all necessitates a local church. So think of a local church as an outpost for the gospel. It's an outpost. It's not just a, a, con a community who happens to be here because we all believe the same things. Intentionally, it's an outpost for the gospel work to be done, for the Great Commission to be carried out. I was reading George Elton Ladd's book, um, The Gospel of the Kingdom, and he described the church as a colony of heaven on earth. That's exactly what the church is. We are colonizing Newburgh with heaven, Church of the Vine. That's what we're doing. We're not just meeting here on Sunday because this is what we've done for many hundreds of years as Christians. We have a habit of getting together. No, this is an intentional body being formed and strengthened so that the place that we're in can be colonized. And that implies evangelism and discipleship in the local church. Now, <clears throat> number two, it's not just enough to have a local church planted. 
But a local church, I believe, and this is where most churches languish, most, most churches languish in the being planted stage or just being there stage. But I believe a local church should not just be planted, but strengthened and established. Be brought to a firm and stable basis according to Scripture. In Acts 15, 40 through 41, we see that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was committed to bringing churches to a firm and stable basis. We read that Paul chose Silas and departed. And having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So he not only planted the churches, but then went and visited them, them again to strengthen the churches. In Titus 1, Paul is writing a book to his ministry companion, Titus. And he says to him, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. So Paul, establishing a church in Crete, but still things need to be put into order. And he says, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. First Timothy, the book that we're going to study. He sent Timothy to the church at Ephesus. And he says, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So Paul's heart, as I understand it, and see it in scripture was not just to have churches but to bring churches to a firm and stable basis strengthening their beliefs structuring them according to the way the Lord would have them be structured and that is why he was sending his protégés and companions to these churches to remain there and put in order what was established by the Apostle Paul so, number two, I believe that it's not simply enough to plant a church, but churches need to be brought to a firm and stable basis according to God's word and scripture if we're going to be healthy outposts for the gospel. That's number two. So we in this church are in the becoming established phase. We're planted. We've been here for three years. The word is preached. Um, the gospel is central in our church. Doctrine is preserved. We have a clear statement of faith. The doors of our church are protected through membership and church discipline. Wednesday night, we make efforts to disciple. There's a true brotherhood being forged in our church and true care for one another. And I applaud that. And I think that is a, a beautiful thing that we are growing in a, into a community who loves one another, who supports one another spiritually and tangibly. Praise God. Um, but as I see it, there's even more to be done now if we're going to be brought to a point of being established. And as we move through this book, it will become more clear what I mean by that. But I would like to become established and then a reproducing 
kind of church in this area. And that's why the Lord has impressed it on my heart to, put, to preach through 1 Timothy. Why 1 Timothy? Because in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, Paul tells Timothy why he's writing to him. And he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Let me repeat that. The reason he's writing to Timothy is so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. God's word is truth. The church is the pillar and support of, the, of that truth. So what the church does is it holds up the truth. It supports the truth. It proclaims the truth. So in God's wisdom and by his ordination, he has deemed it necessary and right to not only have truth, but to have that truth supported and buttressed by a group of individuals in a local church who does what he commands. So, we're a pillar in support of the truth. So, if you could turn your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy, I would like to at least introduce the book of 1 Timothy with those introductory remarks. Now, 1 Timothy, you see right there in the first verse, Paul. And he's writing to Timothy. Now, just by way of background, if you a, a historical reconstruction from the book of Acts, the book of First Timothy, and the writings of some of the church fathers suggests that First Timothy was written after the events of the book of Acts. So there is an Acts twenty nine. It's just we don't have it. Um, it seems that Acts, the book of Acts, ends with Paul's imprisonment in Rome. But it seems that Paul was released from Rome, that imprisonment, and was able to do more missions work for at least two more years. Thereafter, he was imprisoned again for preaching the gospel and was martyred by the hands of Nero in AD 68. So it is believed that 1 Timothy is written between those two imprisonments, the one we have in Acts, and the one later at the hands of Nero in AD 68. So 1 Timothy is written somewhere between 62 AD and 67 AD, about 30 years after Christ died. And Paul had been doing missions. The theme of this book in 1 Timothy is the structure and order of the local church. And Basically, Paul is going to say three things in this book. Number one, support sound doctrine in your church. And don't get caught up with endless speculation or peripheral things. Sound doctrine. Number two, install godly leaders in your church. 
not just leaders because they're intelligent, not just leaders because they're kind, not just leaders because they uh, they have some kind of worldly wisdom, but install leaders who are especially godly men. Number three, shape the church around the gospel. And that means how we relate to one another. Shape the life of the church around the gospel in how we relate to one another. So Paul will talk about the life of the church as well and supporting one another as a genuine community like we see in the book of Acts that they treated one another literally like they were family. So those three things, sound doctrine, godly leadership, and a life in the church that reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. His mercy, his grace, his peace, his love, his unity. The reason Paul writes 1 Timothy is because we don't know exactly what it was, but there is false teaching. And the false teaching seems to be, in the church of Ephesus, Jewish mysticism. And the teaching focused on speculating according to the Old Testament law. It involved a, a strain of legalistic teaching that required people to um, abstain from certain foods and to abstain from even marriage. So there's a, an extreme legalism attached to the teaching. And they prized speculation rather than godliness. So that's why Paul is writing. And so let's look at the first two verses I would like to consider briefly. We read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul is writing as an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you were here last week, you remember perhaps what I said about the apostles. Paul is using apostle in its theologically precise sense. An, apo an apostle is someone who was directly commissioned by Christ himself. So, we have churches today who consider people to be apostles. That's not what we mean by apostles. There are no apostles who were directly commissioned by Christ himself alive today. An apostle was someone who was directly commissioned by Christ, who was vested with unique authority to be an extension of Christ's own authority. Number three, they were given unique power to advance the kingdom of God through miraculous works. And number four, they were uniformly recognized as authoritative by the early church. So, like we said last week, when I say unique power to advance the kingdom of God, remember Peter's shadow? There were people on the streets trying to get in the way of Peter's shadow so that they might be healed by his shadow. That's a unique special, miraculous power that Christ gave to his apostles in that era to establish the kingdom of God. Or what about the apostle Paul? 
we read in Acts that they were passing out handkerchiefs that had touched the Apostle Paul and they were being healed by it. It wasn't everyone's shadow that was healing people. It was the Apostle Peter's shadow. It wasn't everyone's handkerchief that had healing agents in it. It was the handkerchief that had touched the Apostle who had been made an apostle by a command of God. So, if you hear people calling themselves apostles today, that is not what the Bible means by apostle. An apostle directly commissioned by God himself, given unique authority and the power, and recognized as authoritative by the early church, which is why their writings have been canonized in the New Testament. So, Paul says he is... Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by command of God. What was that event that he's referring to? What is the command of God that he might be referring to? Why, it's his Damascus Road experience. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 9, I want to show you what he means by command of God. In Acts chapter 9... Starting in verse 1, we read that Paul was not a Christian. In fact, he was a persecutor of the church. And it says that Saul, this was the name he went by at the time, his Jewish name, that Saul was breathing out threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if they found any belonging to the way, which is Christianity, which is a, I wish we called ourselves the way still, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we follow him as the way to the Father. And we believe in his death and his resurrection as the way to the Father. If he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him to Damascus. And three days he was without sight, and he neither ate or drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has been seen in a vision, and he's seen a vision of a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on, lay your hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, 
how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show you how must I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went. That is what the Apostle Paul means when he says, by command of God. Paul is an apostle by command of God. And it's through God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. Let it not be said that the God of the Old Testament is different than Jesus Christ. It is God who loved the world so that he gave his only begotten son. So that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So it is because of God the Father's love for you that he sent the son. And it's because, because of the Son's mutual love for you that he died on the cross, rose again, thus paying for your sins. And having ascended to the Father, it is because of his love for you that he sends the Holy Spirit into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So that it is a Trinitarian love for you that brings you into his heavenly kingdom. Jesus Christ is our hope. Paul says, and I've, I've told you before, that anxiety, an unbeliever will be bathed in anxiety and dread, because anxiety is the anticipation of dread, but hope is the anticipation of joy, because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, we can anticipate joy. In the future, so though no matter what does come before us in this life, we have an anticipation of joy. Jesus Christ, who has entered in heaven on our behalf and who made promises to us, like I am preparing a place for you, like I am coming again to take you to where I am. That as we draw our last breath in a hospital, alone, on our deathbed, if so be it, that we can say, I know today I will be with you in paradise, just like you promised the thief on the cross. So we have an anticipation of joy through Jesus Christ. Verse 2, he writes to Timothy. He says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, how did Paul meet Timothy? I want to, again, invite you to turn to the book of Acts, because I want to just read the historical context of this. It's amazing how Acts kind of corresponds to the book of 1 Timothy. Um, Paul met Timothy in Lystra, which is modern-day Turkey. And we read in Acts 16, verse 1, that Paul also came, came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, though his father was a Greek. 
and he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So Paul met Timothy in Turkey on his missionary journey, his second missionary journey, and he was a disciple of Christ at this time. Uh, we even know Timothy's mother's name and grandmother's name. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, I remember your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And he talks about their faith in Christ. We know that Timothy traveled with Paul on his second missionary journey, and he became one of Paul's most, if not Paul's most trusted associates in the ministry. Here's how Paul refers to Timothy in Philippians 2, 19-21. He says to the Philippians, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered of news by you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely care for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has, he has served me in the gospel. That is glowing words by the Apostle Paul for Timothy. Timothy has proven worth and has stuck by Paul's ministry for years. What was Timothy like? We do know some details about Timothy. As I preach this series, I'm going to be calling men to consider their role in the church. And don't forget what kind of person God uses. Not the wise not the great rhetorician, but whoever it is, and it's in spite of their frailties and weakness, if they have a fire contained in that weakness, a zeal contained in that weakness, the Lord will use them. We know, for example, that Timothy was young, comparatively. And so Paul... It's estimated that Timothy is in his mid-30s at this point. And Paul says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and purity. Because what Paul is saying to Timothy is, don't let your youth make you feel inept for the ministry, because what you're what you're giving people is not your youth. It's not your excitement and your zeal for life. Give them an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. So he's comparatively young for the ministry. We know he's shy. And that's why Timothy says, or he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, one six. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So he needs to be encouraged, and there are other verses that indicate this. Paul continues to encourage Timothy to be bold and to not fear, but to do the work of the gospel in spite of both his youth and his temperamental shyness. 
Thirdly, we know that he's physically frail. It seems that Timothy was a very devoted man and had taken the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow is not to cut your hair and not to drink any wine. Yet, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.23 to drink a little wine for your stomach's sake and your often infirmities. So, wine, the alcohol in wine can cleanse away bad germs, has healing properties in it. It, it, it cleanses, and Paul says not to get drunk. He has, he has very um, strict commands about the use of alcohol, but he does tell Timothy to not be so attached to his Nazarite vow that it kills him but to drink a little wine for medicinal purposes for his stomach's sake and his often infirmities. So we know that Timothy is young, shy, and physically frail, and often sick. So if you are considering where God might use you, you shouldn't be, well, you shouldn't say the following, well, I'm, I'm young. You shouldn't say, well, I don't have a great boldness. I'm kind of shy. Nor should you say, well, I have these physical problems or got problems of sight like Paul had, problems of the stomach like Timothy had, and one pastor I know has, or are problems that make you a person of besetting weakness. That is not a disqualification. In fact, that is an ability to trust and depend more thoroughly on the Lord and your work for Him. What became of Timothy? For his youth, his timidity, his frailty, we know that one thing, he was zealous for the gospel. Interestingly, in Hebrews 13.23, the author of Hebrews mentions Timothy, who was imprisoned for the gospel and has just been released. So Timothy did not let his shyness get in the way of his commitment to Christ. He had a zeal for the house of the Lord and even was imprisoned for the preaching of the gospel. So we get a picture of the kind of people God uses he does use all kinds of people. But there seems to be an especial, at least in Paul and Timothy, they were both weak. Paul was not a great speaker. He was blind or, or had blindness in one eye. Timothy, young, shy, and frail. And yet, these are the men that God had, God had used to advance the kingdom. Why? Not because they were shy, frail, and young. God can use an old, outgoing, healthy man. The, thing, the common denominator, whatever their personality is, whatever their age is, whatever their body is like, is zeal for the Lord and holiness. That's what God uses. What's the message then? So that's Paul, that's Timothy. 
Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, listen. The gospel is not about good vibes merely. It's an ex- it's not even an extension of our love, ultimately. But more specifically, it's an extension of God's favor in Christ Jesus. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're about in this church. What we preach is not ourselves, the Apostle Paul says, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as servants for your sake. And so we are a a theocentric, God-centered church. What we are proclaiming is not that we have a bunch of nice people and a few young families. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God our Father, grace, mercy, and peace extended by the Father through Christ who sets before you life and death and commands you to choose life. That's what we're about in this church, and that's what the Apostle Paul was about. Paul Washer tells a a story. Paul Washer being a missionary who trained missionaries. He tells a story about a young man who really had a passion to go overseas and to be a missionary. And this man was expressing his passion to Mr. Washer. And the young man said, I just want to go out there and, and give my life away. And give my heart to the people there. I want to give my heart to the people of Brazil. And Paul Washer turned and looked at him and said, said, Young man, people don't need your heart. People don't need your life. They need the gospel. What we proclaim is not our own hearts. People don't need our hearts. They need the love of Christ through us. Yes. But they need the love of Christ. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for your sake. Keep the order in mind. It's God, God acting through Christ, Christ giving us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit meeting, mediating to us Christ-likeness and the presence of Christ so that we can be ambassadors and extension of Christ's ministry on earth and that churches can be outposts of the gospel of Christ. So we're not preaching morality abstracted from the Creator. We are preaching an extension of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, the ministry of reconciliation. I'll close with this. The Apostle Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you have come to Jesus Christ, understand that you're a new creation, and there is no condemnation in you, for you, because Christ's blood has washed away your sins and you are cleansed. So there's no condemnation for you. Um, if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come and the apostle Paul goes on to say this all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then made us ministers of reconciliation 
So he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting his trespasses against them, but entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. So that's what we're about. We are ambassadors for Christ and God's mission that he carries out through the church to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is an introduction to the book of 1 Timothy, framed by what I believe is the ministry of the church to establish places, outposts, where disciples will be made. As we move through 1 Timothy, men especially, I want you to consider how God might be using you in this church and for his glory. And I'm not going to push anything. I'm going to let the word do the work, but I am going to take definite steps in the right directions in the coming months. And may God be glorified in our church through the men, the women, the children, and may his name be lifted up. Let's go.